Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, Bill, welcome back again for another great week to discuss uh, COVID-19 and other topics of date. Yeah, well, it seems like COVID-19 has been the topic for the last nine months, and I think it will be here for the foreseeable future. So, Yeah, we got one topic in on parasites, uh, but yeah, we'll have to, you know, eventually we'll get back to some other topics. Well, you know, let's talk about something that's related to COVID-19, but also in your area of expertise, and that's immunology with vaccines, because I think that's Mm. really the big news these days. Yeah, there's no doubt the vaccines have been a topic of conversation really since since the start, especially in the summer. And so now in the fall, as some of the data is coming back on some of these vaccines, that looks very promising. It's really causing a, a big stir for people, understandably, right? Because this is going to be one of the key tools for getting out in front of the pandemic and getting back to some normalcy. I agree. And I think it's really uh, welcome news to many with this long uh, COVID pandemic we've all been living through. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how vaccines work in general. The concept around a vaccine is a relatively straightforward one. Essentially, when we've talked about herd immunity, we've talked about when will enough people get infected with COVID-19 that they're immune to it and therefore the disease stops spreading amongst the globe, essentially. Vaccines, if you think about it, are a way of creating herd immunity without people having to actually get sick, meaning that you create something which is a lot like the pathogen, in this case, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but it's not that virus, not the full virus, but it's close enough that if you give it to an individual, they will generate an immune response that if, when they actually get exposed to the, to the live virus, it will protect them. So it's essentially an artificial infection is one way to think about it, right? And, and a way to create immunity so that when you really are exposed, you're already immune. And that's essentially how vaccines work. Now that sounds, maybe it doesn't sound that simple actually, but it sounds relatively straightforward, but of course it's a lot more, like a lot of things, it sounds straightforward, but much more uh, challenging to accomplish. Sure. What are some of the ways that a vaccine would do that, actually get your body to produce a protective response? Basically, what you need to do then is introduce either the virus itself, but in a way that it can actually grow in your body or a portion of the virus. But that's not enough. You also need to introduce with it other components of a vaccine that actually activate your immune response. Because what you need to do is have your body to react strongly enough to what you've introduced that it produces a productive immune response. And I think that's actually why there's been some debate, which is confusing to people about what would be more effective vaccination versus actual infection. There's some that argue that because when you give a vaccine, you're actually intentionally trying to make the immune response very strong, then it might actually be more protective even than natural infection, although that's more of a theoretical debate than an actual one. And I think it's important then to bear in mind, once you get something that can elicit this response in an individual, that's just the start of actually having a vaccine that can be deployed that people can actually take. 
Yeah, well, you know, that's a really nice way to describe it because you're right. It's not a, it might sound simple at first glance, but it really is kind of complex. And of course, we won't get into all the aspects of how these different vaccines work because vaccines are getting more and more complex and complicated. But it's a good way to think about how just a vaccine works in general. And so now we have at least three companies that have these promising vaccine products and hopefully more. Many people are working on vaccines. What would it take to get one of these vaccines now out of the research area and into our populations? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's interesting because the steps are the same for all of them, right? As you mentioned, I think there's actually 11 vaccines that are in phase three trials, meaning the last clinical trial before a vaccine or any drug or therapeutic can actually be used in clinical practice. And so it really is you have to prove that the vaccine works. It has to be approved for use in humans. Uh, You have to have a system that can actually distribute the vaccine to people so they can get it. And then last but not least, you have to actually have people that are willing to take it, right? Because if the public aren't willing to take it, then the first three steps don't really matter. And so what we've seen now with the three vaccines that we've heard about, the two, the Moderna and the Pfizer in particular, is that they're in the phase three trial. That data is indicating that the vaccine works. The other thing that you need out of that is not just that it works, but that it's safe. And the safety data is now being looked at as well. And it looks like that's going to be a positive. So then it needs an approval. And the approval that we are looking at right now in, in the United States is not a full FDA approval. It's called an emergency youth authorization. It's recognizing that we are in the midst of an overwhelming health emergency. And therefore, they will look at potential therapies to just make sure that they're safe and that they have evidence that they work. It's basically a slightly lower bar just so that because it takes multi, it's a multi-year process to get something through full FDA approval. So this is a, a slightly lower bar that allows that to happen more quickly. Interestingly, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the different vaccines, particularly the Moderna vaccine that has to be kept essentially in deep freeze until it's administered, right? And you need to have two of them. So both of the vaccines that, that I've seen, I don't know about the third that I'm pretty sure that's a two dose two as well, but most of them are two shots. I Meaning you have to have a system that can't just distribute one shot, but can keep track of who's gotten the first shot and that they get the second. And then there's the things about the storage and the cold chain and all those things. And last but not least is the whole concept of people being willing to take it. The two vaccines are new technology that have never been used before in human vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer. So uh, that's going to be one where we really have to have a lot of transparency of data and understanding about how this works. That's why this podcast is really important because I think a lot of people still have questions about, well, how does all this, if I show up for a vaccine at Walmart, uh, how do I know that this is safe to do this? How do I know that this is going to work? Yeah, those are all really important points. And, you know, I'm just thinking of the logistics of getting this out to our world's population because we need to protect the world or at least get enough herd protection worldwide if we really want to see this pandemic disappear because we really are a global society here. It doesn't help if we just immunize one little pocket of uh, the population in the world. Yes, it's, a, it's ironic to me that the conversation around COVID uh, it became pretty polarized about what we're doing and not doing and, and who's right. But the reality is, if it's one thing it showed us, 
we're all in this together. <laughs> if we mm -hmm. don't eradicate COVID <laughs> right. on one part of the globe, we're all still confronting it. And you're right. Luckily, in the U.S., uh, there has been a lot of investment made in a distribution infrastructure already. Uh, because, And it's not just even just getting the vaccines around. You think about 330 million Americans, you're going to have to keep track of who's gotten it. Um, there's a lot of different things that are out there. So a lot of investments have been made in this country to kind of grease the skids, if you will. So once we have the vaccines, they can get distributed. And there is a group actually that looks at this globally as well, at the Global Vaccine Alliance. I think it's called Gavi that looks at some of this, these things as well. So yeah, lots and lots and lots of work. And when we talk about one of the silver linings in COVID about different health agencies and different groups working together in ways they never have before. That's part of it is it's two things I think are a testament to that are the speed with which these vaccines are at least ready for an emergency youth authorization consideration. This is typically a multi-year process that has gotten done in months. And then the, the collaboration globally to kind of make these available once we know that they work. Those are two things that are really quite astounding. Yeah, it's inspiring. It's really amazing how we've come together to get this accomplished and what has been able to be accomplished so far is, is just really incredible. And then just thinking about now getting the vaccine out to everyone, I would think we'd also have to emphasize that there's going to be some degree of personal responsibility because it's two doses. That make your decision about getting the vaccine, which I would highly recommend everyone get the vaccines when they're available, once they've been licensed by the FDA to receive this emergency use authorization, but then making sure that people get both doses is going to be important. Yes, I agree. And I think also understanding the data and, and how the decisions are made to get them. So one of the things that's interesting, I think is challenging for people is that you, so there were two things. So there's in these trials, there's been tens of thousands. So I know for the Pfizer trial, for instance, there are 44,000 people dividing into two groups. One that gets the vaccine itself, the other that gets a placebo, which is something that resembles a vaccine, but is not the vaccine. What you really need to see if it's effective is, is there a difference in the infection rate between those who are vaccinated and those who are not? Um, and that we just have to, that has to happen in the course of people's daily lives. One, one positive aspect in the rise of cases is that the number of people who've gotten infected in these trials has grown. I think they said they wanted at least 100 people out of the trial to have been infected with COVID to start to look at the data to say if it has some effectiveness. So that's, and that's what they've looked at. In these trials, if there's 100 people who have gotten infected, it appears from the, what's been published, 95 of those 100 have been in the placebo arm and only five in the vaccine arm. So that means it really is a big enough difference statistically. Might that change when we look at the 44,000 people a little bit? Yes, it might. The other thing though is the safety data is on all 44,000. So really what you want to also do is compare those who have gotten the vaccine and those who haven't, and are there health differences outside of COVID? That's all 44,000 that they're looking at, right? So that gives, I think, to give people some sense of security. The two things that we don't know, though, still is how long does the immunity last? To your point, people will have to get two shots. And that's one thing they have shown. And even in the early trials, that two shots are much better than one and getting the strong immune response we talked about. But how long would that last? We're still going to have to learn. We don't know. And I think the other is there were still some who got the vaccine who got COVID. The other thing we don't know is, are they protected from getting severely ill? Because remember, ever since the start, we've talked about the big thing with COVID is we just want to keep people from getting critically ill with COVID. So those are things we'll still have to learn, I think, just to be upfront about what we know and don't know about these vaccines. 
Yeah, well, the data look good so far, and I know that the FDA is really going to do their due diligence in reviewing all that safety data and efficacy data. So I think that's something important for us all to just consider is any product that receives emergency use authorization from the FDA has really undergone that full evaluation, which should yeah, make I us feel good about the product. I agree. I mean, the FDA understands those four steps better than anyone uh, or any agency. And I really do think that they, and they've been very clear ever since the beginning that the safety was going to be the most critical factor. In fact, you look at the early comments, I think from Dr. Fauci, it was like, if a vaccine looks like it has 50% efficacy, we'll consider it if it's safe, right? Yes. So the emphasis has always been on safety. And I think that the aspiration was that hopefully it would be 75% effective, I think was then later what they said. And so they, these high efficacies are very, very promising. And the fact that it looks safe, and again, they will look at the data in aggregate, but there's these vaccines have boards that are called data safety and monitoring boards that are looking at, you know, every Every time someone in the trial gets sick, they will look at it and say, is this something that we need to be worried about? So it's not like this will be the first time that groups have looked at the safety data and that these, these are really independent bodies that have been looking all along. So it's really what they're getting, working at now is the summary. Well, we will definitely uh, keep an eye on this as it progresses and then keep everyone up to date on what is going on in vaccines and of course, COVID-19 in general. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting time here because on the one side, we're seeing these surges in cases, which is, you know, kind of, it's disheartening for a lot of people. It's kind of the rollback of some of the social measures to contain spread, which is also pretty tough to swallow for all of us, particularly going into holidays. The flip side is the silver lining is starting to emerge in terms of having the tools to fight the pandemic as we go into 2021 between therapies like monoclonal antibody therapies, vaccines. There's now some more data coming on convalescent plasma that's showing that if it's uh, in a randomized controlled trials, if it's used early in the course of infection, it can have a protective effect. So we'll have a lot more tools going forward into 2021 to manage this. Unfortunately, there will not be one magic bullet that goes and takes this away, but I think we'll see a lot of things that we start to build up on the waterfront, if you will, to kind of stem the tide. So I think that's something as we get into the holiday and think about Thanksgiving that we can be thankful for going forward into 2021. I agree, Bill. Things to be thankful for. Well, as always, great to talk with you and uh, wishing you and all of our listeners a very happy holiday period. Likewise. And uh, I just remind people, this goes back to St. Francis because of our Franciscan roots here at Mayo Clinic, but he was a big believer in the power of being thankful, of focusing on what you have to be thankful for and sort of keeping your, your mind in the right place. And so maybe we can, we, I know everyone talks about what a tough year 2020 has been, but uh, if we can all find a few things to be thankful for, I think it'll all, yeah, kind of brighten our, our spirits a bit. Agreed completely. Well said. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. I'm thankful for this podcast. Look how many yes, conversations we've had. Yes, here we go. I'm thankful awesome. lots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Take care. Have a great holiday. Yes, you too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>